Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about critical race theory today and why what makes that a, a psychological uh, construct that I would need to talk about it. But th- the deal is is our our civilization, our society in this world is evolving and changing extremely quickly. And people are trying to adapt to what's going on. And when we integrate critical race theory, it really shakes up the social construct of how we exist together, and it, it enlightens us, which is good because it gives us knowledge, but at the same time, it really does tear at the fabric of how we've originally been operating. And it doesn't really, I don't mean that in a negative way, I think what it does is it actually enhances uh, our 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 sense of understanding of each other, but we have to understand what is this thing critical race theory? It's called C. I'll call it CRT to make it easier. But you know, it, it's really legal theory. It's a body of legal theory, and it's a, an organizing framework in understanding human behavior, social processes, and it's relevant to racial uh, racial categorizations. And so if you look at critical race theory, it examines the oppressive dynamics of society to inform individuals, groups, social transformation. And rather than embracing a colorblind perspective, critical race theory places at the center of the analysis a critical perspective on how racial stratification continues to influence the lives of ethnic minorities in the United States and cultural and racial. And and so if you think of colorblindness, it refers to the minimization or the denial of a a role for race in the understanding of life as far as outcomes and different racial groups. So if you look at CRT, you know, professionals that are working in in, uh, cross-cultural environments can use critical race theory to facilitate a deeper understanding of how racial stratification is manifested in everyday experience and the enduring role that race plays in the lives, individuals, of families, groups, as well as the therapeutic process. But a lot of people are very upset because it, it presumes uh, in some regards and kind of broadly labels that anyone that is white is prejudiced. And then it's in, then they're, the white folks are basically held under a spot or a, a, a random race theory of, of ideas of how they are prejudiced and why they are prejudiced. Enlightenment is a great thing, but when it is applied to people with judgment, that in itself can take away people's freedoms. And that is the basis of the problem with critical race theory. The other thing is is if you look at critical race theory, the difference from actually examining history, history itself is written. 
And the problem with critical race theory is it's interpreted history. That means it's, it depends on who interprets. And so it's got a lot of leeway as far as people examining prejudicial behavior and judging that and then reflecting that as fact. And that's why a lot of people have problems with it. On the surface, critical race theory actually does offer enlightenment. It offers social transformation, which is very, very important. But somehow, in some way, we need to take the radicalization and the judgment out of it because that aspect of it is what makes people go uh, against each other rather than – and it divides people. And, and that's where, if we look at it today, that's really the problem of it, that anybody that defies critical race theory is all of a sudden looked at as a prejudicial person. And that's very sad. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of things we have to look at. And the first basic tenet of critical race theory is that the race is a social construct and not a biological phenomenon. And it's, it's, it's basically saying it's not rooted in biology or genetics, but rather it's a product of our society and a product of social organization. So based on uh, that thesis or that idea of social construct, uh, critical race theory holds that races are categories that society creates, revises, and retires as needed. And the, the basic tenet of critical race theory is based on scientific research demonstrating that the human uh, person, their expressions are used to indicate racial categorizations, like uh, physical characteristics shared by people, uh, cultural things that are shared by people. And, and, and it also says that, uh, you know, a, a, a segment of people's genetic makeup and accounts for the proximity of how much they are prejudiced against. And so even even a one dot one percent of, of genetic variability between races can cause prejudice. Genetically, people are more similar than different. Furthermore, science has found no reliable link between physical traits and higher order characteristics such as personality, intelligence, or morality. So it's really important to understand that as a critical race theory evolves, I am hoping and praying that we find the good in it and that we find the science in it and that we find the facts in it rather than the judgment in it and we use that information to transform our society into something better you know racism is 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 apparently from the idea of critical race theory uh, endemic to american life and and it's basically uh, racial categorization is currently and has historically been a fundamental organizing principle of society so individual cultural institutional expressions of racism reflect the racial stratification that is part of the fabric of our country and Countries all over the world. And so, you know, if you look at the analysis, racism is ordinary practice and part of a dominant cultural ideology that basically transforms in multiple uh, areas. You know, race and racism are centrally and defining factors to consider in understanding individual and group information. So with this thing, critical race theory critiques the position and I, I'm hoping I'm not over-analyzing this in your eyes or getting too confusing for you, but it it's basically says that racism is primarily attitude. 
and, and psychological problem. And you see, that's just non-tangential. That's what makes this so controversial and many people up in arms because it's interpretive and it, it, it in, in many ways, people, uh, if they don't have the science, if they don't have the facts and they spout their points of view, that's not necessarily going to teach anybody anything. That's where the fear is. That's where the fear comes from. You know, it, there's another tenet of critical race theory is that racism benefits those who are privileged and serves the interests of powerful people to maintain the status quo with respect to racial stratification. So racial stratification is basically how we all stack as far as races in uh, working together with each other. And, and those with what critical race theory is saying is those with powerful influence in society have little incentive to eliminate racism. And so that's where the problem where that's where critical race theory is is saying something's got to change and so a lot of people have a lot of different voices on this and that's great but there needs to be at some point a convergence of uh, of, uh, of facts and, and material information and science to to help eliminate racism because if you think about it we all, if, if you look at the Genome Project about 10 years ago is when it was completed, maybe longer than that. I'm so old I can't even remember what, when it was. But basically the Genome Project broke down that we have 32 common genes. And that's every human being on the planet. 32 common genes. That is where we all share the same genetics, the genes. 32 common genes. Then there's variables that come out of those genes based on who breeds with who. But, the, you know, the bottom line is we really do need to equal uh, our society and we do need to value all people and we need to value all cultures and we need to value all races. And we need to make sure that we somehow even the odds but that we don't squash people's ability to be individuals because with critical race theory, what you're basically doing is changing language. And when you change language, that's fine. But what it does is it milks down people into a more social, a more social uh, structure like Marxism and communism and socialism and all that stuff because it milks down the person to where they can and cannot do certain things. It also takes away freedom and free will and the ability to think for yourself because now we have to think from a social construct rather than think for ourselves as human beings and then keep ourselves in check. You know, it's a challenge in, in this, this dominant social ideology of colorblindness it, race neutrality and the myth of equal opportunity ignore the reality that the deeply embedded racial stratification all over the world impacts quality of life for those who are not dominant. And those subtleties can only really be found by the people who live in that world, who see that, who understand it. You know, we all behave differently if we're around a cop instead of – and we drive differently, certainly, when we see cops – and that is, just shows you how people are influenced by the uniform. Well, the same thing goes by race, the same thing goes by culture, and the same thing goes by as the world. But you have to understand, 
if you're going to embrace a culture, any culture, if you're going to embrace a race, any race, that also embraces certain values depending on where you're located. And those value systems may be vastly different than the ones embraced by other people. And so what we have to say is now we're trying to blend values of all cultures into one pot. But then we lose what's called character. And character is your ability to make decisions so people know who you are. And that sadly goes somewhat against the critical race theory. And so, you know, we have to understand that we are creating problems in a sense of uh, deconstructing individuality and turning us all into one socially acceptable society. But we are not built to be perfect. We are all flawed and we all have good and evil inside of us. And we don't all fit into cookie cutters. And that comes up to the problem. The other issue is, is that we do need to give a stronger voice to people that are prejudiced, that are that lack opportunity, that lack the ability to have the tools they need to live a better life, that want to grow in a corporate world and, and have better jobs, better opportunities. I think what's happening in this world naturally is that we all recognize this is a problem and we are doing a better job. But critical race theory wants to crack it open and say, aha, you see it, now you got to change it. And that's great. That's great if we have facts instead of interpretation. You know, uh, uh, racial identity and racial identification are influenced by racial stratification by all means. And that is in all societies. And it's perceived, you know, the, 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 the silence towards the race and the silence towards the prejudicial activity uh, loses the significance of racial and ethnic groups having a voice. And I get that. The problem is, is are they wanting to blend too? Are they wanting to compromise too? Are other cultures and other people of other skins, colors and all that kind of stuff, do they want to blend? Let's hope so. I think all of us want to blend. I think it'd be nice if we really did level the playing field. And as corporations, I think it's really smart uh, for them to, to try to pick the right person and try to be good to all people and not just treat one place differently than the other. One of the biggest problems with what the Black Lives Matter movement and the, the attacking of the police is that oftentimes, if you walk through a prison, you're going to find lots of black people and lots of Hispanic people. And yes, you're going to find white people, and you're going to find other people of color too. But the bottom line is the majorities are those colors, it is the black. And so, unfortunately, it's, it's presumed that all police are first looking towards black people rather than looking towards any other race. And that's another argument coming from the critical race theory, which all of this has truth to it. All of it has perceived truth to it, too. However, it is not the truth. And so what we need to understand is these decisions are all made individually and circumstantially. And the problem is with any theory, it's trying to blanket you, blanket you with a and, and give you a value system to operate by rather than to uh, teach you a different value system and let you assimilate it into your own value system. 
people can't own critical race theory unless they own it from their own individuality. So, you know, what they're, what they're saying is people uh, also are, uh, when we look at white superiority, um, a sense of valuing anybody else of any other culture, uh, things factor in like trustworthiness, intelligence, leadership, credibility, standards of attractiveness. All of these are among characteristics uh, that are quickly attributed to from what people believe in the critical race theory is only white people. However, when there's an idolization of that, what we're really not understanding is that we all need to begin to learn to look at people as people and stop having agendas. And the more that we do that, the better off we're going to be. You know, we can be healthy. We can be healthy as rugged individuals forming our own value systems and working together. But when people are prejudiced against, it makes uh, yourself lose your integrity. And if you want to lose integrity, stick with your prejudices. Or the better thing to do is try to find a happy medium or find awareness and consistently evolve as a human being to understand what fits and what doesn't in your life. Is there prejudices? Are they acceptable? And how do they weigh against your integrity? Because integrity, when you die or when you get old, is about the last thing you have that makes you attractive. All right, we're going to continue to talk about this, so come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're taking on critical race theory, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails on this one, but I wanted to dive into this thing because I think it's got a lot of good that we all need to think about as human beings. It also affects people's psychology because it creates a lot of sense of uh, things are changing, how people view people are changing, people's place in life are changing, people's dynamics at work are changing, and uh, judgment is very heavy these days and a lot of division amongst people. When you throw a theory out there that's not completely uh, been you know, edified and, and moved through and taken part and scientific view, scientifically viewed, well, this theory has been around a long time. It's been around since the 70s. However, the problem with critical race theory is it doesn't have enough facts, but it does have a lot of social constructs. For instance, assimilation and racial integration, you know, may not always be uh, what other people are willing to accept. Uh, racially integrated settings occur in mainstream institutions like corporations uh, that mostly, many times, are viewed to be white in composition and in the distribution of power. And due to that dominant ideology of white supremacy, messages of inferiority and deviance are easily assimilated and grabbed onto by people of color with uh, predominantly in predominantly white settings. So that can be extremely uh, intimidating. And does that need to change? Well, yes, it needs to change, especially if people of intellect and have a better or are in a better position or even have more to offer a position uh, are not getting the jobs are not getting into the corporation. That's not cool. What really needs to happen is people earn their place, not have to just get their place from the idea of what color they are. And if we all worked off of earning your place in a job, in a corporation, in a way you make a living, if we earn that and do it honestly, that should be the construct that we all truly follow rather than trying to uh, uh, judge people as their color of their skin or their cultural background and make presumptions on their intellect and what they have to offer because people all over this world have great things to offer and if you work on a global scale um, I used to work for AT&T and we had people all over the world and all of them all of them had great talents there isn't any one uh, culture or one race that holds the water for what things should be. We all need to hold the water of how we operate in this world. And we all need to take accountability for our exposure to diversity. If we don't expose ourselves to diversity, then we continue operating in a more prejudicial environment. And so what's really uh, important to understand about critical race theory is that it's trying to create a dominant cultural value and practice with a sense of identity, belonging, security, and 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 make that a part of our society to where we accept people of all color. 
And and this is particularly true, you know, if you look at institutional cultures, uh, cultures which all institutions haven't, you know, that we should be viewed as not just uh, equal. All of us are equal, but we also, from a corporate perspective, have to be viewed from the idea of what our talents are, what we're good at, what our passions are, what our behaviors are. We are we functioning? Are we helping? If we're going to jump into a business. It should have nothing to do with your color skin. It should have everything to do with your talent, your ability to connect, and your ability to to operate with some kind of sense of values and a, some kind of sense of lack of judgment, not bringing your judgment to the table, but bringing your intellect to the table rather than that. You know, the, the problem is there's very little voice to prejudice in this culture. And critical race theory is giving a voice to prejudice and making our our society see how we are prejudiced. And yes, changing our language, but the full-fledged doing of all that is not necessarily done logically. It is there, there is a problem, but the the true thing is we got to have facts, we got to have science, and we need to be able to understand how we are impacting each other and teach that. But if we're going to teach history as interpreted history by the interpreter, what's going to happen is cultural race theory is going to fall apart. I think all in all, just by the fact that it's we're all becoming more aware of it is really the big step. I think that the fact that there is a dialogue on crit- critical race theory is the most important thing. And over time, even though critical race theory is 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 sitting there as a theory, uh, the more that we understand it and the more that we work with it, the more we're going to pull the good stuff out of it and operate with that. But if we blanket with their tenets that they've outlined with critical race theory, we're going to have – a lot of judgment and a lot of prejudice and a lot of reverse prejudice too. And so there needs to be a balance and they're probably just given our human race will get a balance there eventually. But it's a dialogue just like when we uh, looked at Darwin's theories uh, 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 of evolution, uh, that all had a problem. It all had a problem, but you know what? It taught us a whole lot. It taught us a whole lot about our uh, planet and about us as people and about the fact that we have evolved. We have evolved, you know, uh, and but we also believe in God. And so there's an integration. There's an integration that we all have to understand. Um, critical race theory also argues for centrality. And that's where the, that's that socialist aspect that we have to be so careful with. And that, especially a communist, where they really come down on you if if you don't fall into the beliefs of communism. And also, there's a uh, it also argues for legitimacy and appropriateness of of the lived experience of racial and ethnic minorities as an analysis of racial stratification. So people of color have different stories to tell regarding the way race affects their life experiences. But you know what? All of us experience prejudice in some way. All of us experience it. But do we experience it all day long, every day of our life? Not necessarily. It all has to do with your attitude also, uh, your attitude towards things. If we look at the, the world as with a chip on our shoulder 
and and feeling as if everybody's going to treat us badly, that that already clouds the critical race theory presumptions. You know, it, it needs to be clear, clear and open, clear and open about how critical race theory is going to be applied, especially if you're going to drop it into schools. Me personally, I don't think that dialogue is ready for school. I think we need more facts. We need more understanding. We need more social impl- implementation. And it needs to be honest that it is a theory. It is a theory and it's not facts. And that theory does have truth. And that needs to be honored. You know, it, 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 the other thing is it, critical race theory insists on on a contextual analysis by placing race and racism in a cultural and historical as well as a contemporary uh, social political context. So now critical race theory is entering into politics, which it's been doing for a long time. And they're trying to use law and the legal system, which was the basis for critical race theory is legal. They're trying to apply that into politics to make part of it law. And that argument is going back and forth and back and forth. And there's nobody's landing anywhere uh, good on it. Everybody's upset. Many people don't respect each other's perspective. And the truth will come into the middle. And yes, I do believe this theory will have some good in our legal system. I think it'll have some great things that'll help our legal system. You know, but but the broader historical landscape has shaped the present times. And so what they're saying is history itself doesn't really reflect on race and all the factors involved in racism and and uh, all the factors that, that go into prejudice. And so that's fine. That's good to understand that, that maybe there does need to be a social context where people understand history from that perspective. But once again, that's interpreted history rather than written history. And so you, we have to be really careful with that to understand the difference between am I learning history or am I learning, uh, learning my, pre, uh, my professor's um, view of critical race theory through uh, history. And that could be a problem. That could be a problem, really. And, and the sad thing is, is that's why parents get so upset because our uh, college institutions are full of uh, people that have very uh, different perspectives on life, often liberal, uh, different types of politics, often liberal, and they're not centered. And so the problem is our kids get brainwashed. And then you put that into the public school systems in, in, in states where it's more socialist, like Washington or, or you know, other places like that, Oregon, other places are where they're more, more socialist. And basically what happens is uh, these theories get dropped into these kids' lives without really understanding that they're biasing them in a different way. And is that healthy? I'm not sure it is. I don't think it is in those venues. I think it's still something that all of us have to continue dialoguing back and forth on and coming down and honing down to how this affects us and honing it down legally so that we can make our society more just and fair. You know, but do we want to steal people's freedom? Do we want to steal people's free will? You know, that's not a cool thing. Uh, CRT, you know, critical race theory is, you know, a a mid-20th century movement. It actually came from Karl Marx, and it was advocated by uh, German writers, uh, Theodore Ardorno and Max 
Hockenheimer, and 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 basically the next stage of it came at, from the mid 20th century into the 70s by applying some of the ideas from critical race theory in the study of law. And so it came from many of our legal schools. And, and there's a lot of literature on critical race theory. Um, you know, a lot of it's in, uh, has a lot of jargon, has a lot of familiar words with new and often obscure meanings. But there's a way to evaluate this field and indeed any other that prevents, uh, uh, pretends to embrace all the human experience in a scientific way. You know, we have to understand what are his values? What are the facts in which it deals? How good is the logic of its arguments? And boiled down to these fundamentals, it can be easily accessed because there is so much information on it. The problem is putting it all together, like trying to do that for this show, is very hard. You know, much of sociology, personality, social psychology, these questions can be uh, answered as what? Values, finding the truth, that's great. You know, there's demographic data, results of experiments, randomized samples. That would be nice. That would be nice. And I think there are some out there. There are some studies out there that have been done. And those things can be used to hone down how we can blend as a society in better ways and not uh, judge each other. And the problem is we're human. And we do judge each other. And we get traumatized. And we're emotional. And emotions are not logical. And people, when they do prejudice, they're emotional. They're making broad, sweeping judgments. And that is not smart, that is not good, and that is not helpful, and it's not a great way to live or blend in a society. We do not need to be making broad stroke judgments of each other. We need to look at each other as people and understand each other as people and respect each other as people and hear each other as people. And this is the problem. You've got to be able to hear other people's perspective if you're going to embrace critical race theory. That means you're not looking for it to be something you agree with. You're looking for it to see if it's something you can learn from or hear something that you've never heard before or understand a different perspective that you've never thought of before. And that is how we evolve as people. That's how we evolve through life. Our views change. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. You know, uh, we do need to enhance the power of people of color, uh, people that are black, other uh, marginalized minorities. We need to insist on naming our own reality. We need a truth that is often a way that people do accept. But there is no exact truth. There is experiential truth. And there is an understanding of truth, and there are facts that are seen as truth. But when you're dealing with perceptions, that's a problem because everybody's got their own perception of the truth. And so critical race theory is calling for a the truth where there is not a the truth, but there needs to be a framework that allows people's differences. And that is what we are concerned about. That is where we need to have the discussions. That's where we need to have the understanding. You know, critical race theory is neither a legitimate social science nor a law in, 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 a, in a traditional Western society. But it's a ideological, political, somewhat religious movement. And its aim is, is not the truth or understanding, but power. And that is where we have a problem. 
they're using the theories these days as a sense of power and judgment. And that's fine to gain power is good. That, but when you abuse power, that's bad. And that's what they're saying and so that, you know, white people have abused power. Okay, that's, that's understood. That, I'm sure it's done in many, many ways. What critical race theory is trying to do is break out the subtleties of our society, how we systemically, as a society, have created problems that affect other people's lives, in a sense, uh, and their opportunities, and judges them rather than sees them for the person they are with the heart that they have and the talent that they have, and maybe even the passions that they have to help other people. And that's what we all should be doing. That should be our purpose, is to be here to help others. Because when you do that, you create memories, and then your legacy of life lives beyond your life. And that's a great thing. And, and you know, the criticisms that come to critical race theory is that it's often contends that it's divisive and even racist to examine the role of race in our world and in the systems and the structures here in the United States. And that's understood. Uh, opponents also argue that critical race theory is, is once again, a Marxist framework. And it basically suggests the nation is inherently evil and that white people should feel guilty for their skin of color. Now, that's the criticism. That's the criticism. And the criticism is too broad to really understand what is trying to happen in critical race theory. There's good in everything. But we as people need to open up and try to hear each other so we can understand each other. And I'm, what I'm really trying to do is pull out some of the good in the critical race theory so that we really, really come to grips with understanding where it can truly help our lives. We're going to take another break and we're going to come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about critical race theory. You know, that this looking at this, Congress, a while back, introduced a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in federal institutions. It was primarily Republican um, members that introduced this bill. And it had a resolution highlighting the dangers of teaching the theory in school. And um, there were some, you know, things that took place after that and since and before that that have come about, like a 1776 Project PAC, which is a political action committee. And basically it established to back school board candidates who oppose critical race theory. And it alleges that adherents to the framework are trying to remake the United States to reject capitalism and the nation's founding principles. And so that pact basically contends that critical race theory is hostile to white people. And while critical race theory is not characteristically uh, Marxist, there is a loose connection. And so there's scholars also that have done legal studies uh, and uh, into neo-Marxist stuff and other varieties of oppositions in, in law school. And, and basically, uh, they, they, uh, they're believing that it's diverging from our focus on actual history. And some critical race theory folks, and I'm reading criticism, by the way, and I'm not reading it, but I'm, in, I'm going through some points that are made by uh, uh, people that are critics of critical race theory. They also believe that uh, racism endures because it's profitable and that fighting racism must mean opposing capitalism. And, uh, you know, that that opinion is is far from universal. But, uh, you know, the, the critical race theorists also, they believe, disagree about whether the United States can overcome racism. And, and while some believe racial discrimination will always exist because we are human beings, and it probably will exist as long as we are free and have free will. And even if we don't, people probably still will have it inside of them because that's what we are is people with insecurities and flaws. We do that. And it's in our nature, by the way. And, and, and they also uh, uh, understand that uh, racism does not have to define our future. And we have the will and the courage to reckon with it and to evolve. And that's what I believe. I think we all are going to evolve from this. Uh, rather than encouraging uh, uh, people to feel guilty, they aim to shift focus away. And this is a criticism. Focus away from people's individuality people's bad actions towards how systems uphold racial disparities. It's very strange, uh, judgmental theory that has blanket statements 
Um, and actually, it, it creates a sense, in my opinion, of reverse racism. And that can be extremely uh, devastating because people will begin, to, and as they have now, uh, begin to fight each other, begin to be violent towards each other. And that, uh, my friends, can be a very dangerous world to live in. We need to blend. We need to be intellectual. We need to be smart. We need to absorb facts. We need to take what is good and throw out what is bad. Um, everything needs to be explored. If you think about it, Socratic learning, uh, all people did was sit on the steps at the Acropolis in Athens and listen to each other's theories on life, listen to each other's hypothesis and learn from each other. But that doesn't mean that one person bought another person's philosophy. That means that they learned from each other's philosophy and they adapted their own philosophy based on what they were learning. Socratic learning. That means we all have the ability to judge for ourselves what is good and what is not. We all have the ability to determine the quality of life that we want to live. If we want to walk through life being prejudiced, we're going to have a lot of work to do because this world doesn't operate well with a lot of prejudice, especially pervasive prejudice in your life. And so if we think about, uh, uh, you know, Conservative politicians have basically pushed back on the attempts to talk about race more often. And so critics say teachers are trying to rewrite history. And that's because teachers will be depended on for their opinions and their interpretations of critical race theory, which gives a teacher too much power. That means they can interject their own points of view rather than teach things as they were written, as they happened. You know, if you think about it, if, if you're a Christian, there's some churches that are Bible-based, other churches that are focused on social reform, and the ones focused on social reform leans on the minister to tell you the doctrine that you need to believe and the guilt and shame that you need to have for existing in this life, and then they'll throw the Bible at you. And, and, and from my perspective, that's not cool. They need to teach from the Bible, straight from the Bible, and work that way. Because the Bible <laughs> has a lot more to offer than a minister. And, and it, is, it, it has a lot more wisdom than a minister. So, you know, the bottom line is if they're teaching from the Bible, that's a much better way to go. So, you know, looking at all this, there's just a lot of uh, racial theorist uh, criticism where they don't necessarily agree on uh, uh, promoting uh, critical race theory. You know, the, the sense of people uh, like uh, Trump being prejudiced just because uh critical race theory because he's white. So everything that comes out of his mouth turns into a prejudicial statement. Um, you know, it kind of sucks, kind of sucks. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, then there's the idea that if you're a Republican, uh, by the way, because they're primarily assumed to be all white, so they are prejudiced now. And so you see how this divides people? It's really crappy. It's really crappy. That it, that it operates this way because this is the the downside of a theory, is that it labels people, and that's exactly what we're trying to defy is the idea of any culture, any race, person actually being labeled, but now it's labeling people as bad, and that's not a good application of any theory. Never is it a good idea. 
for us to be prejudicial to each other. I think all of us in this world understand that that's not necessarily a good thing. But some people, especially in particular cultures, especially in particular races, do hold on to prejudice and boldly talk about it and openly talk about their prejudices, but then they expect everybody else not to be prejudiced of them. And that emboldens people. It turns people against people. And and that's why if we had intellectual discussions rather than less emotional discussions about critical race theory, we might have something good to teach people. But if we put the emotions behind it, which we're all human, and we're going to have emotional attachments to whatever we talk about, then what we do is we water down logic, we water down facts, and we water, water down everything else to interpret things to be what we want them to be. And that's the danger of having teachers teach a theory that is not always fact-based, but very blanket-based. And it turns our kids, in, which is what the Democratic Party's goal is, into a bunch of socialists. And they've done it quite well, by the way. Because they really are becoming socialists. We as a country are becoming socialists. We are losing the foundation of what this country is about. And, and that's why a lot of people have a problem with this particular theory. I personally don't have a problem with the theory because it's just new information and it does offer some good thoughts. You know, often people think about racism as individual acts of bias or bigotry, but really what critical race theory says it is we're helping you understand the ways that racism is a system. And, and so the proponents, the people that promote the theory, and I think that has some merit, argue that the system has lasting effects and impacts the lives of people of color today. I, I believe that's an important thing to understand. You know, it, it's a concept. Once again, it's been around since the mid uh, mid last century, and it seeks to understand and address inequality and racism in in the, in the U.S. and highlight that. I think that's powerful. That's powerful. Knowledge is power, and if we use this as knowledge, that in itself is going to offer us great insight to change, and then we as individuals can change and adapt and learn from each other about how to not operate in ways that are prejudiced. But that means that we would have to embrace that from ourselves, from our soul, from who we are. Because if we don't embrace it from ourselves and our soul and who we are, we don't stick with it. And if we turn it into social law, then what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of prejudicial laws that are going to have a hard time being interpreted. And a lot of people are going to get in a lot of damage in their lives and a lot of labels because of the law being interpreted in very strange ways. So it, it, it's, it's <laughs> critical race theory tends not only to law's transformation role, which is often celebrated, but also the role of establishing the very rights and privileges that legal reform was uh, set to dismantle. And, and, and like American history itself, you know, there's an understanding uh, upon where we stand, and it requires a balanced, basically, assessment and not a simplistic commitment to jargons and accounts and, and uh, people's dynamics and people's ideas of what should be right, but it actually needs to be founded on facts and stand on its own as a theory 
that says here is how we need to change as a culture. And then we as people need to begin to endorse it and figure it out for ourselves and then blend. You know, some of the theory's earliest origins can be traced back to the 70s when lawyers and activists and legal scholars realized the advances of civil rights era of the 60s had stalled. And so the critical race theory came about as a radical way to open up people's eyes to understand that there's microaggressions in our culture and there's macroaggressions and prejudices in our culture. And that's, that's a great thing. It's a great thing that that came about. And, and those, you know, the theorists, they also believe notion, uh, notions of race are products of social thought and relations and not biology. So that means it is a social structure that we have formed that allows people to have less rights than other people. We all need to have the same rights. That's why it needs to stay in a legal structure. And also within a legal structure, what's good about a legal structure is it calls for discussion. And that's an important arena because that can fundamentally change how we operate as people in our culture. You know, it's it's really, uh, there's a lot of resistance because critics have slammed it, uh, basically saying it's poisoning discussions on, on racism, it's creating division. And then this 1619 project where slaves were entered into what was not the United States, but the you know, the colony, or not the colonies, but our, our basically our country at that time, which was run by England. And so, you know, the bottom line is, yeah, slaves came in, but that is that, is that when the, the uh, country began? No. We all know when the country began, 1776. That's when, you know, declaration and I mean, our constitution was developed. You know, that's important for all of us to understand is that's when we became a country. And, and students in our universities are inundated with this critical race theory. And that's sad because it's not ready. It's not ready for prime time. And, and um it also is harmful to students because it teaches that American democracy is a lie. It also teaches that the rule of law does not exist and is instead a series of power struggles among racial groups. And that's a problem with the theory. You know, it's it's sad. But, the, you know, when the theory comes about in that direction, what it's doing is it's tearing itself apart because it's offering weak arguments and a lack of logic. Well... You know, I took a swing at it. That's our show. You know, I'd love to hear from you. And, and you can always do that uh, through our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, being an old school person in a hookup culture is a special kind of hell. <laughs> also, remember, the problem with our culture today is we give stupid people power. Also, remember, the benefit of COVID is that we could go 18 months without wearing pants. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.